0: of my usual routines when I get up to preach has been neglected this evening. I usually get up and immediately put on my preaching glasses. My preaching glasses are on my desk at home. So we're going to find out if one can preach without preaching glasses. We'll see how that works. We're back tonight to continue what we started this morning focusing on something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 I'm gonna read verses 12 through 14 in Matthew chapter 7 that will reintroduce what we're working on today so whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets enter by the narrow gate For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and there are those who enter by it, and they are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, that last word in verse 14 of Matthew 7, we're talking about today, and that word is few. Over in Luke 13, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, will few be saved? And his answer was in the affirmative. Few will be saved. And there he spoke of the narrow door and he said, many will seek to enter, but cannot. So few will be saved. Many will be lost, according to Jesus. Once we see that, there is a question that immediately comes up. Who are the few? And that's the question that we're working with today. That question is answered in the Sermon on the Mount here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we are looking at some of those answers today. Who are the few? We're letting Jesus identify who the few are. And this morning we considered the few are the hungry. Matthew 5, 6, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The few are the persecuted. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The few are those who are the salt and the light having to do with influ- uh, influence. And the few are those who who are spiritually minded, who seek first the kingdom. So, I have two more points to make from the Sermon on the Mount this evening. And again, we're working with this inquiry, who are the few? And we're looking to Jesus to give us those answers in this section. The next part of the answer is, the few are those who are alert and discerning i'm in matthew 7 reading 15 through 20 now 15 through 20 beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes are figs from thistles In our society today, when we talk to people about this passage and other passages like this, and when we warn people about false religion and false teaching and false teachers, and when we go further and use the terminology and imagery of Jesus, wolves, In sheep's clothing, the typical response out in the world is not to connect with any of that. And it's not favorable. Because in the general public, there is an attitude that simply doesn't care. There is little interest out in the general public in right, are wrong in religious belief and practice. Because the general perception is, anything and everything is okay. Society in general is, it can be said, neutral. And so what Jesus and the Apostle said about false religion and false teachers, most folks out in the general population just don't care. The few, as defined by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, are concerned about this. Those who seek to enter through the narrow door want to make certain that their religious belief and practice is what God has prescribed. The few read the New Testament and want their worship and the work of the local church and their association and their allegiance and all of that to be in harmony with what we've read in the New Testament. God's people care about these things. (coughs) God's people are concerned about whether or not we're doing things in the way God prescribed. We want to get it right and we believe we can because we have God's revelation of truth and so Plugged away in our minds on the subject of religion, there is this word Jesus used in the Bible when he said the first word in verse 15, Matthew 7, beware. Older translations, take heed. Now, what's wrapped up in that? What's packaged into that? Beware, take heed it requires attention, serious attention to what we accept and what we become involved in and what we recommend. Attention that involves something that could be called testing. Testing. You test what is taught in religion and what is done in religion by comparing that To what you know is true from God and His Word. We are concerned about this. The few have this warning in their head. Beware. Every Christian can do this and should, and we should teach other people who are not Christians how to use the Word of God to discern, to be alert to have this discipline in their minds so that you test what is taught and done in religion and what is proposed for your acceptance by comparing that to what you know is true from God in His Word. What is being said? What is the message? Is this good fruit as identified by God or is this bad fruit? You look and you listen and you compare And what you're doing is captured by that word Jesus used, beware. When people decide what religious group to be a part of, in many cases, what we're talking about here is not a priority. When people decide what religion they're going to be a part of, what group they're going to identify with, in many cases, truth is. Revealed by God is not the priority. Many other things enter in. The appearance of success as measured by the world is attractive. A huge building packed with people who are having a good time. With good food and a band and all the social pleasures, convenience, entertainment, money and numbers seem to get far more attention than simple truth from God. So, with many people, there is no beware. There is no serious attention given, nor any inquiry about what is taught, and whether or not Scripture is the basis of what is taught, and what is practiced. Instead, it is more like, wow, this looks like it would be fun. Or here's where most of the people are going. We've got to listen to Jesus who says, Beware of false prophets. Beware of false teachers. Is it scriptural? We surely hope that people in the future generations, our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, will not ignore that inquiry. Is it scriptural? Has God said it? Is God being worshipped according to what he has said that he wants in worship? Is his work being conducted according to what he said about his work? And notice, here is the problem with the appearance of charm and success in religious leaders and groups. They come to you, Jesus said this, in sheep's clothing. So if you base your decision about where to go and what to do on appearance, then this is what you're liable to get. You're liable to see the appearance of the sheep. But inwardly, the Lord said, they are ravenous wolves. This is so hard for people in the world to appreciate. Christians have to be people who listen and who inspect fruit and discern based on their knowledge of God's Word. What looks good may be bad upon further examination. What seems innocent and popular and fun and entertaining may have no basis at all in Scripture. The few are the discerning. And I should add this, please. There are a variety of myths about false teachers, and this will plug into what I said earlier about the sheep's Appearance. There are images that we may form in our minds about false teachers. Creepy looking men. They slip in and they look suspicious when they walk in the door and they are immediately argumentative and divisive. What does Jesus say? In sheep's clothing. Satan disguises himself into an angel of light. Often, false teachers are charming. Everything about them looks good. Everything about their group looks good. They befriend you and flatter you, but we have to remember what the Lord said. Beware. And it's not just here in Matthew 7, 15 to 20. In Hebrews 13, 9, Do not be led away by divers and strange teachings, diverse teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Or in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, test everything, hold fast what is good. The few look at these warnings in Scripture and take them seriously. The few are alert and discerning. I have another. In Matthew 7, starting at verse 21, I want to go all the way down to verse 27. 21 through 27 in Matthew 7. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. There may be a few people who are attracted to storms. Who love the excitement and the drama of a weather upheaval, a storm. There are storm chasers you've heard about in Oklahoma and Kansas who seem to be thrilled when a storm approaches. That's the exception. The general consensus is we don't like storms, they disrupt our lives, they damage our property. They often result in human injury and sometimes death. And when we pull that storm imagery into life, our feelings are the same. We want to live in peace. We dread the storms of life, if I may name a few. Cancer. Apostasy, people leaving God, divorce, particularly the impact on children, church division, car accidents among people we know, long-term illness, mental breakdowns, crime, depression, failure. We don't chase these storms. And in some quarters of the modern religious world, preachers will claim... That if you are born again, no storms will ever come into your life. Here's what that is. It's a lie. It is one of those cases we talked about just a few minutes ago. A false teacher, the wolf, disguised as a calm, kind sheep, who is telling you that if you'll be born again, there will be no storms in life. Folks, as long as we live here under the sun, there will be storms that we have to navigate. Now, here in Matthew 7, Jesus doesn't promise there will be no storms. I don't care what the preachers on TV promise, Jesus doesn't promise there will be no storms. The assumption of the passage is there will be storms. But Jesus does make a promise. Build your life on the foundation of hearing and doing the Word of God, and you can get through the storms. There is a part of each of us in our hearts that would like to gather up everybody we know And take them to heaven with us. There's a part of us that wants to do that. We have family members and co-workers and neighbors and people we know who used to be faithful. And we'd like to have a huge bus or some sort of vehicle that you can imagine. And we just gather (coughs) all of them up and load them into that big wagon and go to heaven. But it is not our will, but rather His will that prevails. Not everyone. Now just take those two words. Take them as from Jesus, not me. Jesus, who will go to heaven... Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus died to get us out of sin and to put us in position to do the will of the Father. And that's the way we become a part of the few. Let's do everything we can do in the right sort of way according to Scripture, to reach the many with the gospel. But let us understand that in the end, His will will prevail. Let's be standing as we sing.